This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. This is your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the beautiful hill country of Texas, Comanche country. History is all around me. I'm reading every book I can on the Kiowa, on the Comanche, on the German settlers, and uh, that's where I'm broadcasting from. Today I'm going to be interviewing uh, a great writer. He writes for American Conservative Magazine, Kurt Hofer. Uh, He had two articles, one a couple of weeks ago that caught my attention on weaponizing the past. Weaponizing the past for power. Weaponizing past injustices so you can commit injustices today. How, how, how great is that? And uh, also his latest article on how conservatives can save California. And that sounds to me like an obscure conspiracy theory. I don't think it can happen, but that's what we talk about. And this episode is being brought to you by Movie to Movement, creating a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film. And the Vulnerable People Project, did you know both Movie to Movement and the Vulnerable People Project are actually two programs of HERO? And at the Vulnerable People Project, what we do is advance the interests of vulnerable, the vulnerable from the child in the womb to the child in Darfur in articles, podcasts, speeches, influence campaigns, and of course, with our partner Movie to Movement, movies from short films to major motion pictures. Go to thegreatcampaign.org, become a monthly donor. When you are a monthly donor with us, you can be assured, do $7 a month, $5 a month, you know that every month you're standing shoulder to shoulder with the most beautiful people in the world, standing with the vulnerable, for the vulnerable, and of course, of course you can tell by the pep in my step, in the bounce in my voice, that I have been sleeping like a baby And that's because for over a month now, I have been using my pillow, not just the pillow. I am sleeping in, can I tell you? Okay, this is what I do. My wife gets me these bath bombs. Okay, I'm an old man, but I box every day or I do Muay Thai, something, lift weights, and I'm sore. So I I use the bath bomb. It's like goat milk and Epsom salt. I don't even know. Take a bath. Then I get into my bed. I have the Giza Dream Sheets. I have the my pillow mattress topper and these pillows. And you would think I'm a, a pharaoh. I'm an emperor. I sleep perfect. You can do the same thing. You can get a little bath ball, take a bath, hot bath. You can have a my pillow. You can have a mattress topper. You can have the Giza Dream sheets. All you need to do is go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listener square. Use the code Jones so I get credit, okay? I need credit for this, guys. Use the code Jones. And if you're an old-timer, you go to 800-876-0708, 800-876-0708, and also tell them the code Jones. You might not even be an old-timer. You just want to use the phone. I don't know. I'd go to the website, MyPillow.com. All right, here we go with the great Kurt Hofer on the Jason Jones Show. 
Aloha, Kurt Hofer. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Thanks for having me, Jason. I, you're a wonderful writer, and so it's a privilege to have you join us. I, you caught my attention with your uh, summation of an interview uh, with Stanley Payne on the capital, Spain, and the weaponizing of history, weaponizing of the past, and that's what I wanted to talk to you about, but I just I just read your ambitious blueprint that's coming out this week for conservatives in California. Saving California seems to me a, a big task. I'd rather I'd rather farm on, on the moon than <laughs> I think that's more likely to have a good crop of corn on the moon than to save California. But you have a blueprint for California conservatives. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. I think that there is a uh, there's a rising discontent um, in the voter base. The media is trying to paint it as all, you know, right wing extremists who are trying to recall Newsom, uh, right wing extremists who who don't want to have lockdowns. But the truth of the matter is, I think a lot of people who probably, um, you know, voted for Joe Biden have voted for Democrats are also starting to get uh, fed up and they're starting to realize just how uh, detached from economic reality the, de- the Democratic Party has become, you know? Yeah, no, I, you um, know, it is shocking. You know, I'm from Hawaii. I had to flee. I had to, to leave Hawaii with my family and move to Texas. But when we were at our reopen events in March and April, the, the folks that were there, of course, they painted them as conservatives, there was a gentleman's club owner there. There was bar. There were a lot of bar owners there. There were moms into new age who were, you know, didn't want their kids to have to wear masks or get forced to be inoculated. It was such a diverse group. But again, they always try to paint it as this very narrow group, as if the voices of all these other people don't matter. Right. And, um, you know the 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 thing is there's there was this clip that went viral it was covered in a you know Wall Street Journal bunch of bunch of different publications of a a woman who spent like $80,000 getting set up her rest, her uh, restaurant set up for outdoor dining and they closed her down they closed down outdoor dining um in my opinion just to really kind of send a message to people not because they had any proof that outdoor dining was was causing spread of covid anyway they close it down and she filmed a rest uh a movie crew eating right across the right across the parking lot from her restaurant you know dozens of movie crew people sitting there uh having lunch at tables set up outside just like she she had done um and this is the kind of stuff that uh you know i think there's just going to be more and more of this as the regulations uh get get worse and worse and more onerous um you know as we move to more and more this uh these green energy mandates that that don't work or the technology isn't there yet um as we move to banning gas powered cars i mean not not even hybrid ban outright ban of the sale of gas powered cars this is going to be i mean as far as i can tell this this green movement is just going to make a lot of people who are already in pretty dire straits uh go into outright desperation you know this this green these green policies are are a form of class warfare executed by the wealthy and imposed on the poor i mean if you're a movie producer driving a tesla doesn't make make a difference 
But if you're, you know, if you're a working class person living uh, way out, you know, two hours out of LA, you got to, um, you got to drive, you got to commute and you're relying on a gas powered car. And this idea that we can just, we can just ban things with the wave of the wand, you know, that there's going to be a revolt, I think. So, so where do, where do conservatives, you know, Joe Biden said, of all the states you want to make America, you know, he said, make America California again. You mean make America the place everyone's fleeing from? I mean, what is the goal? Yeah, is? Did you hear Biden say that? He, we want to make America. No, I didn't hear. When did he say it? When did he say that? Two weeks ago. We're going to make America after the inauguration. We're going to make America California again. I thought you want you. You mean you're going to make it a blue state that people flee flee from? Yeah, well, what, what 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 he means by that, as far as I can tell, is we want to make the whole country uh, a one-party state where Republicans aren't competitive at all, and we just we just have a uh, you know debate club among the left and the far left, um, and that's that's the goal. I think that's the goal with impeaching Trump is to try to get rid of his legacy, try to get rid of his gains among the working class, and you know. And minorities and make California or make the the whole country rather look like California. What he means by that is make it a one party state where the Republican Party is a dead letter and there is no resistance. Uh, There is no opposition party. Um, And anyone who studied, you know, the history of democracy, if you look at the pre in Mexico dominating for 80, 90 years, when you have one party rule, you don't have democracy anymore, you know? Um, So California, is is the goal for for the Democratic Party? They want the whole country to be um, a one party state. Yeah, and there's nowhere for us to go. I mean, we can't all. Where are we going to go? Yes. We're, all, we're all coming to Texas. You know, they want to. Um, you know, AOC said she wants that the people of the red states need to be liberated. Did you catch that a couple of days ago? Oh God, no! Yeah, well, so AOC wants to liberate that. those of us fleeing New York and California. We need to be liberated. Well, that's that's and that's the whole problem right there. Is you know, with with this uh, with the Senate and House majority, can they turn the whole country into California? And then you've got nowhere to flee to, right? Um, and then you've got you know this ban on gas-powered cars, this green energy mandate. You've got um, these these uh, kind of in my opinion, these these dubious and uh, legally dubious changes to voter ID laws. I mean, all this kind of stuff, if it goes on on a national level, then you've just got California at a national level. And you can't, like you said, you can't flee anymore. You can't go anywhere. And that's why, you know, conservatives, they need, they need to reestablish a foothold in California and expand it. And I agree it's going to be difficult. And I agree um, that it, it's it, it's probably going to take a long time, but I think there's more discontent among the people of California than the media is letting on. In your article, you talk about deindustrialization de- 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 and big tech, and it seems to be that's at the heart of the division, the heart of the violence and the extremism, and and the the, the at the heart of the um, collapse of the Democrat Party. Into into really a totalitarian party. Walk right. us through how conservatives in California, across the country, and the world can sort of link this deindustrialization, big tech, to our problems. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, um, the f- the first thing is, you know, uh, California used to build things. Um, California used to be like Texas in the '60s and the '70s. It was uh, a relatively low cost of living state. There was manufacturing. There was middle class jobs. Um, Los Angeles had a huge aerospace industry, the greater LA area. Los Angeles had um, even had auto industry. There was a GM plant um, in Van Nuys, which I mentioned in my article. And the whole the whole offshoring uh, allowed for a couple things to happen. Uh, first off, when the industry left, you know, in some cases it went to other parts of the U.S., but eventually a lot of it um, went to went overseas, right? Um, went to China and other places, and there was no middle class anymore. There was no industrial base in California. And a lot of those people who worked in aviation, who worked in other forms of manufacturing, who had middle-class jobs, they fled the state. Uh, the Republican Party shed voters. And and uh, from there, we, we also had this increase in offshoring and imported goods along with the rise of, you know, the, the tech economy or the knowledge economy. And the tech economy, these app developers, these software engineers, they're not building anything. They're not producing anything and they don't have a workforce. All that workforce is overseas. Can they can act, um, you know, they can they can shout as many liberal pieties they want about racial injustice and inequality and all that, but it's never going to cost their bottom line because the things they sell and the things um, the things that they're trying to get people to buy are not made in California. Um, so the kind of jobs that actually produce things, whether it's energy or manufacturing, um, those those jobs are gone um, from California for the most part. And like I said, being a uh, uh, you know a programmer, a coder, you 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 don't have to deal with a workforce anymore. You you have offshored that. And as um, as you know, with all your work on, on, on China that you do, the, the conditions there are, are terrible and the people are treated terribly. No, it's, it, you know, it's, it's unbelievable to me that these tech giants can virtue signal on Black Lives Matter while Nike and Apple, like the two worst examples of victimism and virtue signaling, were, were lobbying Congress to stop the Uyghur Slave Labor Prevention Act from becoming law where they would have to certify their products weren't made by forced labor. Like, how are you going to weaponize the past or not even weaponize it, merchandise it, market it, harness it to improve your bottom line while literally using slaves to make your products? These people are unbelievable to me. And it's something I think the average guy in the street a lot of these people who identify as Democrats, I think they're they're waking up to the hypocrisy. Oh, absolutely. And everything, like you said, everything that liberals claim to stand for is contradicted by the economic system that they're upholding, right? Uh, freedom of religion. Well, look at the Uyghurs who are in these re-education camps. Uh, 
essentially for being Muslim, right? Um, look at the, the, uh, they talk about labor unions and working conditions. Well, what kind of labor unions do they have in China? What kind of working conditions do they have in China? They have, uh, they have nets that they've put at the bottom of buildings to prevent suicide by workers, right? I mean, everything they claim to stand for is, is belied by the economic, the mode of production to, you know, borrow from Marx that they are uh, perpetuating and upholding. And all these goods coming in from overseas are using, like you said, slave labor, exploited labor. Um, oh, another thing, the green, they say they're so green. Imagine how much pollution is being emitted by these unregulated uh, factories, right? Yeah, that's uh, a good point. No, a factory that has no problem using slave labor, I, I have, I, or 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 just you know, or um, watering down their baby formula to the point that they're killing children. These these same people, they're not. Uh, we're going to all of a sudden become pious and and obedient to the gods of the city to, to you know on global warming on their emissions. Of course not. Let alone real we're pollution. Supposed to, I mean, Biden. Yeah, and Biden says, and you know, Biden says in his 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 ads about climate change, oh, we're going to lead by example. We're going to morally shame them into going green in China just by cutting our own emissions. That's never going to happen. We're we're buying their stuff. There's a record trade uh, trade uh, deficit right now with China that's been made worse by COVID. And in LA, you can literally see out on the water the cargo ships from China waiting to get in. Um, and that is just the perfect visual metaphor for what we have right now going on with our economy. This, you know, this cheap exploited labor, uh, this, this addiction to cheap foreign made good, foreign made goods. And it's, um, it's pathetic. It's, it's hypocritical. And that working class anger that Trump exposed is what the Democrats want to bury. Yeah, the upstarts. 10 million. Sorry, go ahead. The upstarts. You know, it took me a long time. I was almost a never Trumper and, uh, it took me a long time to get. I was really grateful for what he was doing on foreign policy. It took me a long time to get MAGA. What, what is this? And, it, you know, finally I was able to comprehend that what Trump did was knit together those really diverse communities that were abandoned by the neoliberal establishment. And, exactly. and said, I'm going to fight for your interests, whether it was for he was an opportunist, whether he wanted to be, you know, side with the he hated bullies, uh, whatever it was, what Trump did instinctively, I believe, was see all these people that had no one fighting for them, not in the Democrat Party, not in the Republican Party. So I'm going to fight for you. And now is the revenge. Now the revenge is you deplorables, you pathetic people. You have no right to representation. Your interests shall never be heard again. And now it's time for the hammer. Right. And that's and we're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to drown you out. We're going to turn the whole country into California, like you said. That's the goal. And then we don't need the deplorables anymore. We don't need them for any votes, right? Yeah, yeah cuz they have no 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 representation. Now, would you say it's I've left big tech for the most part. I'm doing my best to leave big tech. I'm off Twitter. I'm in, off Instagram. We're canceling all our subscription services that are big tech. I told my kids, get used. You better get used to check out the library and see what movies they have there. Uh, you yeah. think you think exiting big tech? Well, we, 
you know, in a desire to create a demand um, for alternatives that respect freedom of speech and privacy is an option, or or should we just continue to use it because we have to to communicate to work? Oh man, that's a that's a that's a tough one. Well, I mean, in terms of continuing, do, do we have to use it to continue to communicate? Um, I mean, is 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 a place like Parlor even back online yet? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't even easy for me they, to um, use. Yeah. The, um, I, I think, unfortunately, I think that the only way we're going to fight this successfully, uh, I mean, consumer habits, yes. User habits, yes, to a certain extent. Getting off of big tech, uh, not using these platforms. But I think, unfortunately, just because of the economic interests involved, the money involved, I think that something's going to have to be done at the government level um, to rein in this this censorship, you know. And, Is this something we uh, can do at the state level, that state legislatures and assemblies can, and governors can or, uh, um, make some headway on, or is this something we have to look to Congress for? But do we have any voice in Congress now? Well, I know that um, – Tulsi Gabbard in the uh, Democratic Party is from your home state, right? She uh, she just recently came out against the censorship of big tech and said that the the uh, aftermath of the riots in the Capitol were much more dangerous to American democracy than the riots themselves. And I don't know if that's going to be a growing sentiment in the Democratic Party or not. Um, but if it is, maybe there, maybe there's some, there's some chance here because what's, what's starting to happen is that on issues like free speech, on issues like how woke are you, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the wokest of them all? The, they are these, it's turning into a circular firing squad, right? So people who consider themselves liberal are now being called racist, are now being called, um, you know, white supremacists. And if the Democrats don't stop that movement within their own party, they too will be devoured, right? Um, by the, by the hard left. Um, so. And they'll this, definitely be victims. You know, it, it, it doesn't yeah, they stop. Will, they will become the victims too. And they're, you know, they're scared. They're scared to say anything, but how much longer are they going to be scared to say anything? I, I don't know. It, it's, it seems like there there's, it's only a matter of time, in my opinion, again, before even the left is going to have to stand up to, you know, the monster it's created with this political correctness stuff. Well, and, you know, it's interesting when anyone stands up from on the left, they're immediately labeled the right. So yes. Dave Rubin is now the right. Tulsi Gabbard is now the right. The right. Oh, yeah. So what they're doing is yes, anyone yeah. that has any kind of dignity, beauty or nobility about them. The hard left labels the right, which is tragic because really they're not. I mean, this, these people are progressives in so many ways. I, I know a lot of Tulsi's positions. She supports universal basic income, all these things. She's what you would kind of call a progressive. She's just not a t- totalitarian thug. Right. And this is, you know, getting back to your point about, about, um, MAGA and how you weren't a Trump guy at first, and I, I wasn't either, frankly. Um, 
the biggest missed opportunity here is a real bipartisan consensus on a lot of economic issues that Trump uh, was exposing. That the, you know, the working class, the deplorables, there was a lot of chance for bipartisanship there in his economic agenda that Republican, or excuse me, that Democrats um, didn't, didn't want to get on board with because that, that didn't serve their agenda of vilifying everyone on the right as, you know, white supremacists and racists. Yeah, well, something you might disagree with me on, a lot of conservatives do, is I really think we need to take care of the dreamers. The dreamers are Americans in, in reality. If you've been eating cereal, watching cartoons in my neighborhood since you were nine, you're an American to me. Um, Trump tried to do that, and and Pelosi walked away. There were so there were so many sort of middle ground positions where these people who have been abandoned, the migrants who we lure here, we exploit them. We, you know, we take advantage of them. They work in a dangerous underground economy. It's the wild, wild west for them. Uh, there's no real concern for them on either side. Then here comes Trump. And I, I, you know, Trump's not the best guy, I think, to, to advance the interests of these folks. The thing is, he was the only guy. You know, and right. now that Trump is gone, these unrepresented communities don't disappear. Um, no, absolutely not. And there, there's a consensus there on how to solve this. Um, the consensus is most people say, and I think, you know, all the polls back this up, give the, uh, the dreamers uh, legal status and secure the border at the same time. And that's, Both things. And that's the moral position, because if you don't secure the border, you're 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 participating in luring people here to be trapped in a dangerous underground economy, be exploited while undermining the most vulnerable Americans' wages. So yeah, secure the border, have a mandatory verification system that's easy to use for employers, and take care of these these kids who are Americans. And um, and that what's sad right now is you're right. Now that Trump is is gone. Who is going to represent these people? And then, and, and then, rather than being worried about representing these these vulnerable communities, these voiceless communities, you have the Biden administration uh, with his champion in the press. I don't know if you've been listening to this guy. It's it's quite it's quite scary. Thank God for Tulsi Gabbard standing up to him. John Brennan sounds like he was not the head of the CIA, but the head of the KGB. Yeah. Well, he he voted for the Communist Party, didn't he? He did in 1980. He was a member of the Communist Party. How does this happen? Yeah. It doesn't even seem believable. Yeah, I mean the the thing too. I mean, with this whole smokescreen around immigration and and creating you know some kind of grand bargain that you and I just talked about, is that a lot of these Latinos are pretty inherently conservative. You know, they've come from a lot of states that are fit, failed socialist experiments. And that doesn't just mean Cuba and Venezuela necessarily. Um, you know, Nicaragua is another example of that. And a lot, a lot, you know, I would say that a lot of, you know, Hispanics are pretty inherently conservative. And they, they get, in my opinion, they get kind of duped into this, this race baiting that the, uh, that the Democratic Party um, uh, stands for, but yeah. not all of them are buying it. 
And so Trump got the Hispanic vote uh, in Florida, and that just enraged the Democrats to no end. Yeah, it has to frighten them. I think you're going to see a lot of leaders come out of these communities on their own, communicating in their way, grounded in their traditions, and they're going to battle against the left because the truth is the black community, the Latino community is to the right of any white white neighbor. I mean, it's just they're conservatives. And like you said, yeah. inherently, these are conservative people. But the lie that the party that was founded to end slavery, the party that fought for the Civil Rights Act, the party that fought, stood up to the totalitarian thugs that, thugs that menaced the world, yeah, somehow this is a racist party. There was a quote-unquote great switch that happened sometime. Maybe we can um, move to um, your piece on Stanley Payne and the, and the weaponizing of history. Maybe does that, does that sort of go into that, this sort of race-baiting? and Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the whole, the whole logic in Spain of, uh, weapon, what I, you know, what I called weaponizing the past, the idea is reopen old historical wounds, get people upset, pour salt on those wounds and hope that that stirs up votes and hope that that divides and conquers. And that is exactly, in my opinion, what the left is trying to do with uh, terms like uh, structural racism uh, or even the term anti-racism is meant to divide, um, you know, using, we can, we can talk about equality and opportunity without using uh, critical race theory and other, uh, you know, and other politicized jargon like that. But, but that doesn't, have the polarizing, the same polarizing effect, you know? Yeah. Now, when you said, you said dividing, you know, that they want to, they want to um, dig up old wounds, pour salt on the, on the wounds to divide. So on the, when we have the left, we have those who are thoughtfully working to divide people and those that are caught up in the division and enraged. How, how do right. we separate those two groups, right? I mean, I guess the one is beyond repair. If someone is thoughtfully sowing dissent in a community for power, I mean, they're irredeemable. But people who, because of a natural sense of justice, especially, especially young people, and, you know, history is ugly and messy. And, the history, you know, the history of the human family, like the history of my family, your family, it's messy. Uh, so, of yeah. course, when you're a young person, I remember when I discovered – that just 10 years before I was born, you know, there was desegregation. It was watching a film strip in the seventh grade, and it was shocking. You know, it'd be like finding out your biological father's not your father or something. It was sort of shocking. So young people, they experience these shocks of our recent past. And, and I, I have a similar, yeah, I have a similar memory to that too, which was, you know, um, water hoses on desegregation protesters. And just thinking, oh, my God, this is our country, right? You know, that's exactly what I was looking at. It was young kids being uh, blasted with hoses and dogs attacking them. That was what I saw. And I was born in 71, so this is probably, what, 82, 3 I saw this. But I I was in a a diverse neighborhood. You know, I I didn't think of this stuff, didn't understand this stuff. And we probably saw those same images. And it was shocking. So young people are easy to get caught up in this, right? And then they get attracted to right. ideologies that promise utopia. 
Right. And I think you're, you're coming on to something really uh, important, which is that distinction between people who know exactly what they're doing, dividing and conquering, and the people who are uh, arguably misinformed and getting sucked uh, sucked up into it. And I think um, that gets back to what we talked about with, you know, deindustrialization and big tech and outsourcing, which is underneath the veneer of all this, you know, social justice language and, and critical race theory. Underneath it, the economics are not helping. They're making things worse. And so this is where, you know, I think Trump for all his faults, did a favor to the Republican Party by pointing out, like you said, these people have been left behind and by exposing the Democratic Party as the party of, you know, woke capitalism, not of American workers. And I think that's how you get some of these voters back onto the same page is by hitting Democrats on their home turf, which is supposedly, you know, we are going to make your lives better economically. But they are the party of big business now. Big business has gone to the side of the Democrats, and there's no returning unless, unless Trump gets, you know, the Trump legacy, the Trump movement gets so shamed and so um, deconstructed that we get pushed back into the McCain-Romney paradigm of Republicans always need to be the gentlemanly losers, right? Yeah, right. It's like the Harlem Globetrotters with that team they played. You know, it's very entertaining and they can uh, make us look like flip fools and we can clown around on the court and at the end of the day lose. Yeah. No, and that's right. And guy, and guess what? For someone like me, I could choose to live in that world and do fine, thank you. But um, but that's not what we're concerned here about. There's all these folks that had no one representing them. They had a representative that w- that had a lot of flaws. Now they're being scapegoated for his flaws and flogged for it. Yeah. And abandoned. And can you imagine a day where the Democrat Party, for all of its flaws, we know the history of it. In the North, the Democrat Party was in shambles, and it it became sort of the party of the working class because it was in shambles, and it was a place for Jews and Italians and the Irish to organize, to fight back for a little bit of the American dream in Boston and New York and Chicago. And this is where that machine came from. And the old school WASP Republicans were fighting for desegregation and were abolitionists. That was great, but they might not have liked the Irish so much at home or the Italians so much in the neighborhood. Right. And that's where there is this loyalty to the Democrat Party, and there is this truth that in these communities, the Democrat Party was really an instrument for them to have a piece of the American dream, to say we belong. Uh, but that is, right. and that was my grandfather, who was a tool and die worker for Ford, you know, um, fought in World War II in Korea, was a Democrat through and through. Um, and he's, you know, is a, is a son of, of German working, uh, uh, you know, uh, of a son of a, a German orphan, an orphan who came here from Germany. And that was it. That, and he is a German Catholic in Chicago. But that party is gone. It is the party of Apple, Google, uh, the Twitter, CCP. And um, they're not thinking about the working class. They're waging a brutal war on the working class. And they're, you know, they're upholding, speaking of utopian visions, they are, they are, you know, to use a, a term that's been in vogue now, they are globalists. They, they don't envision national borders as serving any purpose anymore. This is all about 
um, the free flow of capital, the free flow of goods, and the abolition of the nation state, right? There's no longer uh, one country with a set of values, with a language, with a heritage. It's all about creating a borderless world because that maximizes the profit and that benefits the, like you said, the, co the companies that you just mentioned, that this borderless world is what maximizes their profits. So they can mine human uh, capital like uh, rare earth minerals in, in, in Afghanistan or something. And, and exactly. Any... Mine, them and, mine them until they, and then move on. Find the next country that's even cheaper to do labor, right? And any leader that says, I'm going to protect the vulnerable in my country is a dangerous nationalist. So if, if a, right. in he's Brazil, a, he's a demagogue. Or, yeah. Yeah. De anybody who dares represent, uh, protect the people of his political community from, uh, transnational, uh, organizations, businesses, anyone who says he, he'd protect his people from us, Apple, Google, Facebook, Twitter, uh, is a, is a demagogue and we is a tyrant and therefore we remove them from Twitter. Correct. So, so in California, Correct. when you see this this blueprint, identity politics versus uh, um, or woke woke capitalism versus a, a, a populism, economic populism, do you see these leaders coming from the old school Republican establishment, or are these guys going to just kind of spontaneously appear out of these communities? Oh God, that's a great question. Um, I think it's. I'm not sure it's going to come out of the Republican establishment because I think, um, and you know, this is not meant to be an insult to, to Reagan or Reaganism, but I think that the sort of the old guard Republican elite is too entrenched in Reaganomics and, you know, tax cuts and, and free markets. And unfortunately, Right now, those ideals have been exploited, like we said, to, to, you know, to send labor overseas and to undermine the interests of American workers. And so I think, unfortunately, a lot of these populist upstarts are going to have to come from the communities that have been disenfranchised, both to, you know, get the message across to the people on the ground there and because they are not as burdened, I would say, by that model of, uh, of a of Republican that in some ways is no longer relevant in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's what Trump revealed that that model fair trade, free trade, but fair trade. And we're not doing Correct. anybody favors. You know, the, the trade imbalance with China isn't benefiting the Chinese. It's benefiting the CCP. In fact, we're aiding and abetting the brutalization of the Chinese people brutalizing the people of Xinjiang province or East Tur occupied East Turkestan. And, um, right. and so really I see that these deplorables from East Turkestan to Gary, Indiana need to work together. And we really need Absolutely. to organize ourselves around um, protecting the vulnerable. I also think the Republican establishment, even people who are uh, mean well, even if they know well, they're not going to have the spirit in the belly to stand up to this woke monster because no. they, they haven't suffered the injustice themselves. It's going to be more theoretical. It's going to be people who have come out of these communities that have just been 
uh, stomped on and brutalized and gaslit and manipulated and misrepresented. It's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of, like Tulsi Gabbard to me is one of these people who just, where did she come from? And where does the courage to say all this come from? I think it was her experience in Iraq, probably, Yeah, you know, where she, in a medical unit for 13 months, witnessed how these these policies decimated a class of people that had no voice in the policies themselves. Right. So, yeah. Well, that that would uh, that would make a lot of sense. And trying to to tar her and stop her would also make a lot of sense, right? Yeah, I don't think you can stop her, and that's the thing. I think we're going to see people like Tulsi Gabbard erupt, and or or, or, or Dave Rubin. These people are like, who are they? Where did they come from? Where is the passion? What you know? What what explains it? And I and I think you just don't stop people like that. Um, because you know, yeah. as a filmmaker, we call it the, the call to adventure or the inciting incident. You know, it's that great injustice they experienced, and that's just that great injustice propels them. Like they were pushed in a raging river, they can't, they have no control over it. They're going where they're going to go, and that that they were either. And I think that good luck with I, you know, and. I am as someone from Hawaii, and I've watched. I, I did think when Biden won, I said to myself, Tulsi Gabbard is going to be the most important person in this country for the next four years. But I thought that was just to stop stupid regime change wars. Um, yeah. You know, I would have never crossed my mind that she would be fighting John Brennan at home. You know, we need to fight John Brennan in Yemen, in Libya, in Syria. Now John Brennan has brought right. the war to home. He's brought the war to home. God forbid he treats us like he treated Yemeni's children. Yeah, and he, you know, I I never would have, I never thought of her as you know such a huge protector of our constitutional rights, our First Amendment right. Um, but there you have it. It's Tulsi Gabbard. So now, what is your project as a writer? When you sit down to write, you you uh, you can write. There's so many things to write about. What is it that is a writer today? You must have taken an operational pause in the past couple of weeks and said, how as a writer am I going to be of use in the next four years? What is that project? Yeah, well, I guess the project right now is just to kind of expand, expand, you know, write, write more, get my ideas read and circulated and hopefully uh, expand my, my profile. Um, and I don't, I don't know what direction that's going to take me, but I've uh, literally just started, you know, started from scratch in the sense that I sent a lot of, I started writing letters to the Wall Street Journal. They published a fair amount of them, tried to write op-eds for them. They turned them down. Um, and for some reason, PAC, the American conservative, has has taken uh, some of my pieces. Uh, this will be piece number eight. Um so going forward, I, I I would like to have some sort of book length project that I can really uh, sink my teeth into, as well as um, continuing political commentary. But I mean, for for me, just this this article that you and I were talking about with the the you know woke capitalism versus economic populism, I think maybe that'll be my biggest task as as a writer is to um you know I use the term red pill from the Matrix to to, to red pill people into realizing that all these identity politics are just a veneer. They're just um, a smokescreen for what's going on for the, uh, you know, the Uyghurs that are being uh, forced into, into slave labor, 
um, for these, you know, uh, people who are addicted to opioids in, you know, formal industrial cities like Youngstown, Ohio. I, I think that's sort of the challenge is to create a workers, a nationalist populist party that can unite Americans. Because I think at the end of the day, um, Democrats, whether they realize it or not, consciously or not, some of them do, some of them don't, they are sowing the seeds uh, for discord and division and destruction, I think, of our country. And most of them, and you use this word in your article on um, weaponizing the past, it's banalization of action, right? Like they're not, these people aren't out there saying, I want to sow discord most of them, I don't, they're not out there saying, I want to divide my community. I want to shatter families. I want to break relationships up. Just had a friend tell me that uh, her boyfriend broke up with her with the, a simple text that said, I hate Trump. <laughs> like She's like, I didn't even <laughs> And you're like, what? Well, what does this have to do with anything? Uh, you know, it's so strange. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I got off Facebook. People who I love, they're very close to me, don't like Trump and uh, – you know, and they don't like the Republican Party, whatever, that's fine. And But they got obsessed with it. And like a monkey with a banana in the box that they can't let go of the banana. They, keep, they would just relentlessly troll me, their friend. I'd post a picture of my wife and kids. And then underneath it, it would be some long, lengthy article about uh, something that they had no knowledge of but a strong opinion on. And uh, But I don't think, you know, these are my friends. They don't want to divide but they, like you said, have been banalized. They're just, they're thoughtlessly conforming to the spirit of the age. They're being pious. They're doing what they're told. They're told there's, these are the people that are causing the disorder and the, the community attack. And so they attack, creating more discord, more disorder, more sorrow. And to me, I'm in politics. For, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, um, and, you know, ruining people's lives in the process. How many, how many stories do we not know about of somebody who's gotten fired for something that was deemed politically incorrect? And how many stories do we know, like you said, not know about of relationships ending because of political differences? Um, and this, this is the kind of, this is the kind of banalization, like, like we were talking about. Um, of this totalitarian system that we're living in. It doesn't have to be a workers, a workers revolution, you know, people coming out, coming out of factories and with guns and, and uh, taking over this, it happens incrementally and it, it almost becomes so trivialized and so boring that we don't notice that it's happening. Right. Yeah. And, and then it becomes, and then it's going to become so commonplace that it's to be expected. Well, what did you think was going to happen when you sh you posted on Facebook that you think minimum wage actually hurts low-income people because it closes entry-level jobs off to them? You posted such a hateful, bigoted thing. You should have been fired from your job. You know? Yeah. And, that, and people you had just it, You had it coming. Yeah, you had it coming. Oh, and, and it's not like they're or, hating each other over, like, someone's like, I'm a neo-Nazi. No, it's like, I think that Raising minimum wage to $20 actually hurts the working class. You hateful jerk bigot. What? Wait, what? It's a prudential. 
this is this is what and 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 every single issue oh you think you know I, we think securing the border is the best way to protect the vulnerable here and those who would like to come here people wouldn't want to debate our disagreement they would just bigot you're a racist you're a bigot right i hate you now and then you've got because and 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 because of that it creates a culture where people don't want to say anything and so the people who are afraid of losing their jobs, the people who are afraid of, uh, you know, getting trolled, getting doxxed, whatever, they, uh, they don't say anything. And it creates the illusion that everybody thinks this way. And so unfortunately, unless, unless more of us speak up when we hear this thing, uh, when we hear these kinds of things said, this sort of creeping uh totalitarianism this creeping censorship is just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse in the workplace you know um in entertainment and media it's just it's everywhere in in religion in the churches it's it there's no limits to it no yeah it goes everywhere and we all have our line so the progressives they they all have their line, I hope. Well, most people have lines they will not cross, lies they will not tell. Right? Right. And so sooner or later, everyone is going to find themselves on the wrong side of that line. So we just need right. to be bold. And I thank you for your writing. Keep writing. There's never been a better time to be a writer because it's going to take courage. And I think success is, 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 is you know, success is at, at hand for us. We just have to be brave and not back down and keep, you know, each time they throw an obstacle in front of us, let's stand on it and shout even louder and, and higher. We'll be higher. The bigger the obstacle, the bigger the stage that you give us to stand on and shout. And I think those people well, being do- doxxed and destroyed and guys like you um, will be looked back at as the heroes of this age. And I don't think this age is going to last long. I think this is a, a disgusting enthusiasm. And I really feel sorry for the well, people caught up in it. Yeah, you're more of a, uh, I guess you're more of a happy warrior than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I have to be. I have seven kids and two grandchildren. So, um, <laughs> you know, I can't leave them to some dystopian future. We have to win, right? I want, I say all I want the world to be is what I had. I want, I want my grandkids to be able to roller skate, listen to Hall & Oates, eat cheese fries, and drink RC Cola. You know, that's it. I want them to be able to have barbecues, play football. I want them to have any political opinion they want and not be afraid of being docs destroyed, hated. You know, I just, we were, we were blessed and I want to pass these blessings on to our posterity. And, uh, you know, if, if I never breathe the free air again, I can say the first 50 years of my life were beautiful. And the second 50 years maybe will be a wonderful opportunity to meditate in solidarity with so many other people who had to live under the boot of morons, of banal thugs, and uh, so whatever. Uh, I don't think you're. I don't think you're asking too much. Yeah. No. We we've got to do this. Well, you keep writing. How do you like people to follow you? Well, I uh, just keep looking for me on American Conservative for now. Um, I've been sort of like you said, staying off big tech. Um, I've got a. I've got a blog I post on every once in a while, Kurt Hofer, historypoliticsculture.com. But yeah, check me on 
uh, on tack for now. But thank you so much for having me, Jason. I really appreciate it. No, Kurt, thank you for being on. I will put all of your links in the show notes, and um, I'm going to continue to look for your writing. I'll put you in my flip notes, uh, and I'll follow you, so I'll get all, all your articles sent to me, and uh, keep up the good work. Well, thanks for fighting the good fight. Keep on fighting. God bless. All right, everybody. That was Kurt Hofer uh, from Rights for American Conservative Magazine. He is a great guy, and I love his writing, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of him at American Conservative. This episode was brought to you by Movie to Movement, creating a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film. Go to movietomovement.com. And check out our new movie, Divided Hearts of America, where um, you can click through there and, and watch it on Salem Now. Big news coming soon. Divided Hearts of America is going to be everywhere pretty soon. But you want to watch it now. So go see it at SalemNow.com or MovieToMovement.com. This episode is also being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the vulnerable from the child in the womb to the children of Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. Go to thegreatcampaign.org and become a monthly donor with any donation of $20 or more. You get a free copy of my book with the great John Zmirak, The Race to Save Our Century, where we lay out the five core principles that if we advance, will shatter the neoliberal, globalist, totalitarian overreach. All right? And also, as always... It's been brought to you by MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and get all of your MyPillow products with a deep discount by using the code JONES. And if you don't have that mattress topper yet, shame on you, because the mattress topper is awesome. Until next time, the Jason Jones Show. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Ooh, 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 ooh.